Welcome to the Nonprofit Hero Factor, a weekly live video broadcast and podcast where we'll be helping nonprofit leaders and innovators create more heroes for their cause and a better world for all of us. Ding. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. Thank you for joining us. As the intro says, we are here to share advice from nonprofit leaders on how you can activate more heroes for your cause, primarily through technology, storytelling, but it really cuts across all topics. And today we've got a slightly different topic than usual, which is we're profiling a specific nonprofit leader. Her name is Constanza Roeder, and trying to work out what it is that she was able to do during the pivot that many of us had to take during the pandemic in order to not only retain her donor base and her volunteer base, but also to expand it and see how her organization was able to make some pivots and what have been the implications of those pivots. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Constanza is the founder and CEO of Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers, and the host of a podcast of her own, which is Arts for the Health of It. Ms. Roeder was selected as one of the top 100 healthcare visionaries by the International Forum on Advancements in Healthcare for 2021. As a singer, adolescent leukemia survivor, speaker, and thought leader in the field of arts and health, Constanza is on a mission to humanize healthcare through the arts. When I asked Constanza her superpower, she said it's using technology and automation to help our donors serve clients so they feel more connected to the cause. Obviously, those are all things that I am very passionate about myself, so I was excited to have her on the show. Let's bring her on. Hey. Hi, Costanza. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really happy to have you. I'm excited to learn from you and what you guys have been doing at Hearts Need Art. First, I've read your impressive bio. Congratulations on the impressive achievements. And now I'd love to just hear a little bit, what's your story? How did you get to this point? Sure. I will try to keep it short. Um, so in my bio, you mentioned that um, I'm an adolescent leukemia survivor, which was really um, an, an inciting incident in my story. I have had several, but that was um, one of the big ones. I had um, 130 weeks of chemotherapy when I was going through that ordeal. So most of my high school experience, I was in and out of hospitals and um, experienced a lot, of, a lot of isolation and frustration and grief and all of the things that you might imagine um, anyone dealing with cancer might experience. But especially as a young person, there's um, a lot of added, like just add being a teenager on top of that. <laughs> becomes very complicated. Uh, but I was really fortunate to still be classified as a pediatric cancer patient because I had access to pediatric services, which included the arts. The arts were a really essential piece of how I was able to cope with not just my treatment, but really kind of rebuild my life after, after I finished that, that whole process. And when I went on to study music and psychology in college, and I moved from my hometown in California to San Antonio, Texas, where I live now, and I started volunteering on an adult oncology unit. 
and I'd never been in an adult hospital before. And I, so I was on the unit. I was like, whoa, this is really different from what I'm used to. Where are the activities and where's the art and where are all of the visitors who want to come and make the, you know, make the patients feel better. And there just was like none of that. And so many of the patients I worked with weren't much older than I was when I finished treatment. It's not like we magically become a completely different species when we turn 18, we still need connection and love and beauty and expression. Like we, these are all things that we need throughout our lifetime. And so I did the only thing I knew how to do. I just started going room to room and singing for patients. I would bring music to the bedside and that grew into, um, my, you know, starting my nonprofit in 2016, where we could bring in, um, a, you know, other musicians and visual artists and writers to come and bring to help really to help keep people from um, languishing. I guess I'll use that word. <laughs> There's just this languishing that can happen when people are left isolated and in their anxiety and depression um, just because they're in this healthcare environment, which is kind of this artificial environment we've created. And so we use the arts to like a like it's in my bio, to humanize that healthcare experience, to um, restore some of that. So we've, we're about to hit our five-year mark and um, really proud of what we've accomplished. We have an amazing team and they do awesome work. That sounds great. And I can picture everything that you're talking about. Um, fortunate that I did not go through mm. quite similar experiences as yours. And I commend you on how you came through it and we're able to turn it into a lifelong passion. When we talk about storytelling and you use the term inciting incident, and I was actually really interested to hear that you say you've had several, yeah. I think we all do. Um, and it's part of how we choose to tell our story, which ones we tend to focus on, which ones we take action on and mm. allow it to lead us down the path of the life that we want to live. Mm. Yeah, totally. So kudos to you for acting upon it. And now turning, I responded to the call. To you action. did. You took up the call to action. And I talk about those all the time, you know, and it's not oftentimes, it's not the first call to action someone responds to. It might be the second or third yeah. or sometimes fifth. You know, in marketing, mm -hmm. they say you have to have at least seven touch points. So yep. you had a long and, and harrowing, it sounds, unfortunate experience, mm -hmm. but you let that become call to action and motivation as often we do we turn our greatest weaknesses and and suffering into our greatest strengths and and yep. prosperity so mm -hmm. personally I, I commend you for doing all that and creating an important organization i think because mm. i love arts um as most people who have ever listened to the show know i'm a recovering <laughs> actor uh, and filmmaker i did a lot of theater and there's nothing like that artistic collaboration, that artistic mm. communication. And I say collaboration, I don't mean between two different artists. I mean, between an artist and an audience mm. to transport them, to get them into a different time and place, which honestly, if you're suffering from cancer and going through treatment, wow, how valuable. Get it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And so totally. I'm, I can easily understand how your work has been impactful and important. And then we had a little something happen around two years ago now, a little less than two years ago, um, in the healthcare space. Uh huh. That I would imagine made your work a little bit difficult. What? No, that's no. 
Yes. Yes, it did. Yeah. The, the pandemic. So all of our programs, programming is in person or was in person. Um, clue there. Uh, and then March of 2020, we, all of our programs were suspended. Um, in the hospital. And so we had to figure out, okay, what, what are we going to do? Cause the, our patient population, our, our, our stakeholders are even more isolated. They're experiencing even more of the reasons that were there in the first place. Cause now they can't have any family visitors and they couldn't leave their rooms. Like so bad, so bad. So we're like, we have to find a way in. we have to find a way to support during this time. And so we, we spent two weeks and we completely overhauled our whole, our whole program and put it online um, so that people could access it. We started live streaming along a, a lot of content, which is a really cool way because a uh, really cool thing because a lot of our donors follow our social media and a lot of our, um, a lot of our clients follow social media. So they, we did these live interactive art sessions on social media and they could interact with each other, which was really kind of a special thing that we we can't usually bring a lot of donors into the hospital to kind of see our work. So they got to kind of interact with each other on this virtual platform. Um, and we've kept some of those elements that we built in our programming because um, it's helped. We found it's helped us provide a better continuum of care for our patients now as well. So was a, yeah, yes. it was an interesting time. <laughs> no doubt a uh, stressful two weeks there that you guys spent uh -huh. overhauling everything. But I hear the outcomes were pretty good. So can you tell us what did you guys come up with and how did it change what you're doing? Sure. So it was kind of on all fronts, right? So there's the programming front, but also the fundraising front, which of course is common to all nonprofits. Um, so on the, on the programming front, we create, we put together a platform where our clients could schedule sessions directly with um, their their favorite artist or musician or writer, someone on our team, and then they would meet through Zoom. Uh, we also did, like I said, some of the, the live streaming, we did some group um, sessions as well. We also kind of put the word out in um, some of the communication channels that we were connected with um, in the healthcare community on the national level. And so we were able to support groups from around the country. And we still are actually, because there's a lot of groups that have had a shift completely online. Um, we serve a lot of high, high risk people um, that face isolation because they're immunocompromised. So they're like, they're living pandemic times all the time. <laughs> uh, so a lot of the social workers we partnered with were having trouble keeping people engaged virtually. They're like the Zoom fatigue is a real thing. So they would, they've been bringing us in as like little special fun event things to help keep people engaged. So they're continuing to connect in each other and with each other and not just retreating into isolation because yes, virtual is not ideal, but when it's the only thing we way we can connect, we, you know, we got to find fun ways, ways to make it fun so people continue to engage. Um, so that's, that, that's kind of on the program side of things. And then we also built um, a new program that specifically is supporting healthcare workers. And it's called our, we call it our gratitude grams program. Uh, Cause the burnout rates are just ridiculous right now. And there's kind of this mass exodus from the healthcare field because people are tired and they're burned out. Um, but the data also shows that there's a 40% decrease in the incident 
incidents of burnout when healthcare providers feel valued um, and um, uh, when they feel appreciated. So we built this program around showing gratitude through the arts. So we put up a platform where people could submit letters of thanks and gratitude to healthcare workers. And they just fill out a simple form on our website. And then we combine those messages um, with a video from one of our artists, musicians, or writers that has, you know, a, an uplifting song or a poem or a prompt or some sort of simple art activity people could do like on a pad of paper, just something to shift, take a moment to shift um, their mindset and help them feel seen and really feel that someone else is holding them in their heart and is really thinking of them and has put some energy into um, making them feel appreciated. And that's been a really cool program. We have people, we have healthcare providers from 30 different healthcare institutions around the country that are enrolled in that program. And we've received letters from people all around the country expressing thanks to healthcare workers. And that's been a really cool intersection of the fun rate, like engaging supporters directly in a program that we didn't really have a mechanism for before. Um, and now it's it's been this really beautiful um, partnership and people in the in our community really do genuinely feel grateful for healthcare workers. And now they have kind of an outlet to express that gratitude, even, you know, really on a regular basis. So um, and we've had groups reach out to us um, wanting to do something to help. And it's been a really easy thing that we've been able to say, hey, you guys can do this, you know, X, Y, or Z, and it has this impact. And it doesn't, and then they can run with it. It doesn't require any extra time on our staff, which I know a nonprofit, like when people offer to help, it's, it's it takes time. <laughs> like there's a cost, there's an internal cost of that, right? Of like, okay, now we have to figure out what they can do and we have to help them do the thing and all of that. So this was um, a repeatable system that um, helped people feel engaged and supported our clients. There are so many things that I love about that. One, the first is that you found a way within your mission to create a new program that was entirely well, at this end of it anyway, entirely digital. Mm -hmm. That doesn't require a lot of ongoing cost, mm -hmm. a lot of ongoing resources like people power, man hours, woman hours, people hours. Um, and that at the same time helps achieve your mission by connecting people to the healthcare providers, by creating a better atmosphere for everyone involved in that system. Yeah. What? What did it take for you to get that program up? It, I mean, if I'm a nonprofit or uh, a nonprofit uh, program leader and I'm thinking about doing something like this, it may sound resource intensive just to mm. get that going. Can you talk a little bit about what it took for you guys to get that going? What, what some of the tools that you're using to make it happen? Sure. Uh, it's very simple. It just takes a little bit on the front end to kind of think through what outputs you need, like what data does our team need access to in order to make this happen. But we're using a Google Sheet and we're using a mail merge. And that's 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 it. We for the well, one of, we also use a Google form that's connected to the spreadsheet. So there that's where kind of the automation comes in is is 
there's a lot of ways to integrate, especially Google products, which is which is great and they're really accessible. Yeah. Um, and uh, Zapier has been really useful. Um, we haven't used Zapier. No, we do use Zapier when to send like automatic emails when people mm-hmm. sign up for the program. Um, so that automates that whole welcome to the program part of the program. We built it and then it runs. Um, and, you know, as a name shows up and our program coordinator assigns them to a, an artist and then they go from there. And the great thing about uh, the format, each person gets assigned a particular artist, but we can scale up as much as we want with very minimal additional costs. So it was a very scalable um, initiative, which was great. (laughs) Yeah, I love how simple that is. I mean, I use all of those things all the time. Um, When someone signs up to be on the Nonprofit Hero Factory, for example, they fill out a form, it then gets zapped to an email, to a spreadsheet, to all those things. And they're fairly simple, like plug and play things to set up, uh, Zap being a Zapier or Zapier um, implementation. Um, And then what happens once that note is delivered? Do you collect any sort of a feedback? What? How does the? Is that the end of the journey when when the note is delivered, or is that the beginning of the next step? How does it work with you guys? Sure. So when um, a healthcare provider enrolls in the program, they um, they're enrolled until they say they don't want to receive messages anymore. So they get regular messages from us, mostly weekly, sometimes every other week. Um, so they get it's ongoing. And then we have, um, we have a survey because of course data is really important. Right. And so we have a survey after they watch their video, they watch their gratitude gram. Um, we have a quick survey they can fill out just giving a little bit of feedback, how it impacted, um, them in certain areas. We're, we're specifically looking for how it impacted some of the symptoms of burnout since that's the real issue right now. And, um, it's, really cool. The data shows that it does. And we've actually recently won an award for this program from the National Organization for Arts and Health, um, a national award for in the category of, of um, caregiver resilience um, for this specific purpose. And so it, they're reporting that they feel more hopeful, that they feel appreciated, that they feel more energized, um, that, you know, they, they just appreciate and then we get qualitative data as well stories about why they why they signed up which are so like boys they're so heartbreaking <laughs> like like i like some of them are like i signed up cuz i'm looking for a reason to stay in this job like i need to remember why i'm doing this um or i've been in this pandemic for 2 years and i just want to give up and i need something to lift my spirits like just the most heartbreaking stories and you know we're not we're not getting all the way to, you know, getting them all the way there. But if we can at least move the needle a little bit and help them feel um, that their sacrifice that they make every day is is seen and it's important and we value them. That's a win. Absolutely. It's that human connectivity, especially at a time when human connectivity is so difficult. Mm-hmm. And for healthcare workers specifically, the the overwhelm that a lot of them have gone through in the, in the past year and a half, two years now is exhausting. So yeah, human touch. Yeah. And we felt it it was really important to have some sort of um, interactive element as well, because 
like, okay, I'm on a mailing list where I get an email every, you know, that feels kind of impersonal. So we have, um, uh, regularly we ask like, Hey, if you have any requests, like song, special song requests or types of activities you might want to do, like, let us know. And then we like make them and give them a call out and, and all these things. Um, so we, we do try to have touch points at the first iteration of the program, which my team, like they mixed, <laughs> we were, we were creating personalized videos for each person we would say their name we would do the song we would like do this whole thing and it was like so beautiful but then we were we had too many people enrolling and we're like we can't scale this <laughs> so, we, so we had to kind of go back to the drawing board like how can we keep some of the touch points but also make it scalable so that's what we came to until you guys get access to the AI and deepfake technology where you could just mail merge somebody's name into a video oh and you Wouldn't get them to actually say it it's it's um, already available. I'm not saying you need to jump on it, but it's doable now. Next iteration of the program. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to talk about how you guys iterated and how you were able to come up with this stuff. But before we even get there, you talk about the impact that it's had on the healthcare workers, which of course is key to your mission. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any impact on your donors and your donor base as a whole as well? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. So we had when we were in 2020, going into 2021, we kind of had to rack our brains of like, how do we, how do we communicate to our donors that we're still making an impact, but also we can't do the work that like the original work that we said that we were doing. And so we had to like communicate all this new stuff. And so getting people involved in the process of actually engaging with the program, they got to see on the inside, like what the program was, and they got a touch point of actually engaging with it. Um, and we, we stayed at, we expected a lot of, um, a much higher loss last year from, from donor support. And we, we made, let's see, last year, we were on par, if not a little bit more from individual donors last year. And I think that's like a huge win because we couldn't, we didn't have any in-person programs. We couldn't have any in-person fundraising events. Um, so in that meant we were able to keep all of our staff employed, that we were able to keep all of our artists employed at a time when musicians, artists, all of those people that rely on the gig economy had no, we were their only paycheck for several, like for months and months at a time until things started opening up. Um, and so at a time when arts organizations around the country were having to lay people off, we were able to keep everyone employed. And that was our, that was our goal. As soon as we were shut down and everything was not looking good, we're like, we're going to do whatever we need to do to find work for y'all to do to keep everyone employed. Um, so that's a huge one in my book. And congratulations. That is a huge win. And the fact that you were able to keep everybody connected, didn't have a large drop-off rate, which like donor retention, regardless of your efforts is never a hundred percent. Yeah. But if you could keep on that even scale when everything's in turmoil or maybe even grow it, yep. then that's an incredible win. And hopefully it'll only put you in a place where you could grow a lot more. Yeah, and we've seen like the the digital stuff that we've created and the digital platform that we've created has created a lot of 
um, momentum for us going into 2021, creating our podcast, um, all like the virtual offerings that we're, we have now, it's, it makes the work that we're doing more visible, um, which is imperative for getting people to like, be like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like I want to, I want to support this. Um, so we've seen even more growth this year than, um, like we kind of held steady last year and we've seen a lot of growth and especially those individual donors this year. I think that's common where when you make a pivot, you first kind of plateau or even dip down a little bit before you can hit that hockey curve yeah. um, <clears throat> that everybody likes to to aim for. Um, so once the pandemic is over, which let's say in a couple of months, we're going to be fairly back to normal. Let's hope. Uh, um, yes, <laughs> please. I'm assuming your guys are going to start, if you haven't already, actually, maybe I should ask you that first. Have you restarted in-person uh, programming with, with artists? Yes. We were out of the hospitals from um, March 2020 through April 2021. We were able to go back into the hospitals. Um, and whereas before, we were only serving one... Um, one oncology floor in one hospital, which was still a lot. It was still like 60 beds that we were serving um, on a on a daily basis. Um, but because of all, because we kept shifting to a, to meet the needs that we were seeing in our healthcare space, um, the, the hospitals really took notice. And by the end of the year, we're going to be in eight facilities. So we went from like one floor before the pandemic to now being in eight different hospitals, um, serving healthcare workers, playing concerts for them at the, on, um, at the nurses stations and serving high needs patients and stuff like that. Um, so hold on, I got off on a tangent and what was the original question? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good tangent. Oh, uh, we're back I in was... person. Yeah. You're back in person. Are yeah. you still continuing the digital programming as well? Okay. Yes. Yes. So the, the pieces that we're keeping, um, are those that are helping to us, helping us to provide that continuum of care, like I mentioned earlier. So now, before, especially when we were working with oncology patients, they often have several admissions that they have throughout their course of treatment. So they might be in for a month and then they're home for a couple of weeks and then they're in for another month and home for a couple of weeks. And during those times when they were home, they didn't have access to the arts because they can't go to a, to an art class or go to a concert. And for a lot of the adults that we're working with, they engage, they're engaging with us in the arts for the first time. Then maybe like they may, the last time they may have picked up a paintbrush was uh, elementary school. And they're, we've kind of re reawakened this expressive, uh, creative spirit in them and they want to keep doing it. And even before the pandemic, we're like, how do we, how do we, how do we connect these dots? Because we want to, we want to help them continue to create when they go home. So now they can meet our artist, Hannah in the hospital and build great rapport with her and then schedule, um, schedule zoom sessions to continue to work with her while they're at home and then pick right back up with Hannah when they, they come back into the hospital with us. So it's, 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 allowing us to provide not just a continuum of care, but a level of um, accessibility to arts and health that we we didn't have before. That's wonderful. And this trend, this movement to digital, you know, pandemic or not, it's inevitable. It will only grow. I don't think it'll ever replace live theater. Hopefully. Not. Please no. <laughs> but 
it is a way for you guys uh, specifically, but for all organizations to reach more people, mm-hmm. to be able to have an impact that's more scalable than the one-to-one that you are offering or the in-person uh, real-time, if you will, synchronous time that uh, that most organizations have relied on, especially in the arts. Yeah. In all in kinds one- of services. And one of the great things, because we do surveys with our with our patients as well, and we were using kind of the same survey, we adjusted it a little bit for the specific, um, some specific questions about the tech side of things that were, anyway, that wouldn't be applicable in the hospital. But um, all of the measures held pretty strongly. So still, they were rating really highly that it, the the activity helped reduce their pain levels, that their anxiety went down, that their depressive symptoms went down. The only one that was, that was significantly different was isolation, that that's, it was still beneficial, but not as beneficial. The numbers weren't as good as when we're in the hospital that we expected that, (laughs) but we were great. It was great to be able to see that it still was having good impact. Um, even though it was digital. And that totally makes sense. We don't want technology to replace humanity. We want it to amplify it. We want yes. it to be able to reach more people. And it sounds like the way that you've got things set up, it's scalable. And as you were talking, I was thinking, I hope that you keep improving on the scalability factor, on the systemization and technology of it, because eight facilities is great. But what if another organization wants to, or another group wants to start this up in California, where you're from, or uh, on the East coast or in the middle of the country, somewhere in Chicago or someplace else, you know, can you start now basically almost franchising Mm -hmm. this model so that more organizations can start up doing it or your organization can grow out and reach just a whole lot more people that really need the service? Yeah. And that's a question we ask ourselves all the time. You know, we're, we're in this, um, real emerging fields. Well, it's kind of beyond emerging. It's, it's really popping up all over of arts and health and the national organization for arts and health, um, has done a great job of helping to get organizations like ours together. So we can, we can see different program models and collaborate. And there are organizations around the country that are doing similar work. Um, but there's such a huge need <laughs> and, and we're, so we're always asking ourselves that question. What is our role here with the, with the people in front of us. And then what is our role in the larger mission of arts and health? Like this should be standard of care. The arts have always been a part of our healing practices and rituals throughout human history. It's, it's how we instinctively, it's what we instinctively go to when we're feeling dysregulated. And it's because it is, it is the ultimate regulator. Like we express um, those hard emotions. We help, we stay grounded in our bodies while we're doing that. When we're moving, when we're speaking, all these things that are, that we do in the arts, these actions that we do in the arts are the trauma research that's happening around um, the power of arts engagement is really pretty amazing. And it's kind of like, duh, like, duh, like, this is why we have the arts, right? Um, anyway, the, um, yeah, so we, like I said, we're always asking ourselves, how, what can, role can we play? And so that's where we went into, okay, we want to elevate these stories. We wanted to start our podcast. Um, interested in learning more about this field of arts and health and how different people apply the arts to tackle different problems in the world. Um, our pot, you might be interested in our podcast. It's called arts for the health of it. And we talk to people all over the world that are doing 
just the most amazing work with all kinds of different populations. Um, so that's one way that that we saw that we could elevate um, the work that's happening throughout the fields. But yes, that is that's kind of our next thought is, OK, what how do we continue to activate and equip people to do this work, too? Very cool. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, a lot of organizations are facing similar issues, have been facing them for a couple of years, have found their own solutions. Yours, we could certainly say, considering everything that you've told us about it, has been successful. To what do you attribute your success, your ability to come up with programs like this and implement things like this? What might other organizations look at and try to mimic in your processes or in your infrastructure so mm. that they could do more of this as well? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's been a lot of emphasis um, over the past several decades on STEM, um, on technical skills. Um, but because technology is so accessible now and is also changing so quickly, creativity is a much more important skill in the emerging economy. So none of the people on our team were especially like we're all millennials, you know, Gen Zers. So we're a fairly young um, group, which hugely worked to our benefit. Um, but we're also creative. And so we could learn different pieces of technology and come up with creative applications for that technology. So you don't necessarily need special skills, but you need people who can think creatively and problem solve creatively with the tools that that are accessible and you can do it for much lower cost than you might think. Um, there's so many resources out there for like free tech for nonprofits, for discounted tech for nonprofits that are really easy to use. Whenever there's like a new tech thing that I want to like a new software I want to use, I always email them <laughs> and say, hey, we're a nonprofit. We do blah, 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 blah. And not once have I gotten someone that's like, no, we don't have a nonprofit discount or no, you know, they've always been like, oh, yeah, we can do something special for you. Um, so that's what I'd say is get creative, find if you don't have young people on your team, we, we got to lean into, we got to lean into our young people right now. Um, find some interns <laughs> that can, um, cause they have a good pulse on where things are going and we need to pay attention to that. Absolutely. Are there any tools, uh, that you recommend to organizations that you guys like that have been working for you at this time? I always like to ask for tools or resources. Sure. I'll give a shout out to QGive, which is our donation platform. We've had it the whole time we've been an organization and they're amazing. They, they're constantly taking feedback from their clients and adjusting to their, their offerings, um, to support changes in, in the, um, in the economy, in the pandemic. Um, one of the great things that they started doing is their peer-to-peer -peer campaigns now connect with um, Facebook fundraisers. So uh, we had a we had a create-a-thon um, at the beginning of this year where it was an all online peer-to-peer um, -peer campaign. Seven days, people could create stuff and post on with the hashtag and raise money for our cause. And we, we made more than we expected to make, which is great. Um, but that that connection between the QGIF platform and Facebook fundraisers was really um, helpful. But on top of that, they provide great um, and really relevant training um, around their tools and ways they had all kinds of support to help their clients shift from 
in-person fundraisers to virtual fundraisers. And they've just been really great partners um, along, along the journey. Wonderful. There are a lot of great giving platforms out there. Um, glad to hear that QGive is doing such great work. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to be working with them a little bit next year. So I'm excited that uh, people are supporting or appreciating the work that they're putting out there. Totally. Um, so I really appreciate your time and I want to be respectful of yours and our audience, but I don't want to let you go before I ask you, what's your call to action uh, for anyone who's been listening to this uh, episode or watching us or even reading it online? Now that we're primed and ready to dig further, what's your call to action to learn more about you and the work that you guys are doing? Mm. Yeah, go to our website, heartsneedart.org. There's not a person listening to this that hasn't been affected by the pandemic, that hasn't been um, helped by people in healthcare. Um, and if you want to get involved in helping us share appreciation for people in healthcare, you can go to our website and click on the Gratitude Grams tab and you can write a note to healthcare providers and that'll go out in this week's you know, group of emails that we send to them and messages that we give to them when we're in the hospital. Um, and then, like I said earlier, you can follow follow us um, at our podcast, Arts for the Health of It, to learn more about um, this type of work and how you can use the arts to tackle important problems in the world. Um, and you might be surprised. There might be people that you relate to that are doing work with the population you're working with and maybe are using the arts in a way you haven't thought of. So I'd encourage you to check out that resource too. Wonderful. We're going to, of course, link to those, uh, to QGive, to your podcast, and to the Gratitude Grams. I do recommend that anybody listening, if you're not sure how this works or how easy or difficult it is to set up, go check out their page. They did a great job of laying it out, of telling a story, and then making it super easy for someone to jump in and get involved. So do it. Send a message to a, a healthcare worker. That'll only be a good thing. And at the same time, Steal from their playbook, see how they're doing it so that you can also incorporate some sort of process similar to this, a new program or an adaptation to your current program that will help you reach more people regardless of pandemics or no pandemics by using technology to leverage and amplify your work. Mm -hmm. The best artists riff off of other artists. So you have my permission. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, what's the, is it Picasso? Somebody said that um, good artists, uh, borrow great artist seal or something like that. Yes. Yes. I think that is the Picasso quote. <laughs> I apologize if I misquoted Picasso. No disrespect uh, to <laughs> him and all of his uh, admirers, myself being one of them. Anyway, Costanza, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us all about this program and what you guys have been up to over at Hearts Need Art. Thank you for having me. This is great. And thank you, everybody, for joining us and listening in today or watching. However you subscribe or consume this content, I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're learning, getting lessons from people like Constanza that you could implement in your organ own organization to create more heroes for your cause and a better world for all of us. And if you do like this show, please, please give us a rating, leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite platform so that more nonprofit professionals like yourself can discover it and get advice to improve their own programming as well. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you all for watching and listening to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. We hope this episode has given you some ideas and strategies for creating more heroes for your cause and a better world for all of us. Please be sure to subscribe to this show on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what you think by leaving a review. 